Hey guys. And girls. And everything in between. Welcome to the final episode of PH5 2022. Seems like just yesterday I was recording this exact same episode, but for last year, and uh... You know, it's weird because like, it, it feels like it was just yesterday. Um, but at the same time, you like really kind of think about it and you really reflect and it's like... You know, if that was just yesterday, a lot happened in one day. <laughs> you know, um, I guess part of the uh, the whole appeal or the whole kind of you know, interesting thing about doing these year-end things is, uh, you know, you really just reflect on the whole year, right? You reflect on everything that's happened. You reflect on the music. Uh, you reflect on what that music meant to you, why the music meant to you, what it did. It's just a lot to think about. I mean, the whole idea of doing this to begin with um, other than you know a massive exercise in vanity or whatever you want to call it is to kind of catalog my life uh, you know by using music kind of as a, a vessel by which to do so you know and it's like when I count down my favorite albums every month you know it's more than just counting down and, and, and talking about my favorite music it's uh you know here's the order of significance of um these records or you know these moments in my life if you will and that's ultimately what it comes down to right I'm not ranking the objective best. And I've said that many times. That's not what this is about at all. This is about, uh... <laughs> this is about me, you know? This is about me... trying to make sense of life and, and, and... trying to make sense of the things that are happening to me and... using music as a tool by which to understand myself better. And when you do something like this, when you go back and you re-listen to all the records from the year and you attempt to do this crazy thing that I've done where I try to not only identify my favorite 25 albums, but then try to rank them, um, yeah, it kind of produces some really interesting results just in terms of uh, reflection and um, almost like organizing your memories and organizing your, your thoughts on the past year and, and, and kind of how it all, how it all fits together. You know, like life is very chaotic. You know, it can be extremely boring a lot of the time too, but uh, it can also just be chaos filled with moments and events that you could have never seen coming 
things that just kind of happen and um, throw everything for a loop. And, you know, all of a sudden, who you are and where you are a year later is uh, completely different. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to think about who I was and where I was a year ago when I was recording this episode for 2021. Didn't really have a job. <laughs> Just finished school that I knew was useless and uh, wasn't going to get me anywhere. Um... Yeah. And now I, you know, I have a path and I have a job and I, I, I've got it all kind of figured out. But, you know, in a lot of ways I don't. And in a lot of ways I feel more lost than I was then. Crazy, right? And what does this even have to do with music? Uh, it's getting too somber. You know, I think, um... should be a cause for celebration. We got through another year. We survived yet again in this crazy world. And there was a shit ton of fantastic music that got us there. So... That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about my 10 favorite records of the year. As well as my 10 favorite, oh, sorry, my 5 favorite songs of the year as well. Um, I talked about my top 25 to 11 last episode. As to be expected. Uh... Not too many people interested in that one. They want the good stuff, you know? They want that beef. They want the juice. They want to really know. Okay, like, top 25 to 11. What does that really mean? It doesn't really mean anything. But top 10, now that's significant. These are records that will stick with me. Or at least I'd say so. Um, for a long time. And it's funny I say that, because I, I... I say that, and then, realistically, I, I look back, and I'm like, I don't even really remember what was in my top ten of last year. So, you know, it's, it's all very arbitrary. You know, this is my ranking of the albums now. You know, maybe in a month or two from now, if you were to ask me what my favorite records were from this year, It'd be a different list. You know, it's hard to say what stands the test of time and what doesn't, right? But, uh, here's me trying to make sense of it now and in this moment. Because that's all we can do, right? Just, uh, try to make sense of things as they happen to you. So, without any further weird preamble, how about we get right to it? This is Phil May presenting the PH5 Top 10 of 2022. Really appreciate every single person that 
has listened, that has stuck around. Um, we're almost at a thousand listens of this podcast, which is baffling to me. Let me let me tell you, I don't get it. I mean, I'm glad. I'm I'm stoked that people are listening. I don't uh, I don't understand why, but you are, and I really appreciate it. So, thank you for that. Anyway, let's do it. PH five. Top 10 albums of 2022. And I'll talk about some songs in there as well. Let's go. Okay, so, you know, I took a nice big swig of my caramel flavored coffee. I'm feeling great. I'm ready to talk. So, coming in at number 10, we have. Sudan Archives, Natural Brown Prom Queen. Now, it's interesting because, you know, I, I talked before about how, uh, you know, this isn't an objective list. This is a list of, you know, albums that mean things to me or circumstantially have made an impact on my life. Very subjective. But it's funny because... This particular album kind of goes against all that, <laughs> because subjectively, this album really like can't mean much to me. This this isn't an album made for me, for you know, the the kind of person that I am. You know, this is an album that is very strictly about uh, you know female black empowerment or. You know, again, that's just one of the themes and, you know, you know, black female sexuality and, and, you know, like owning oneself and all that. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not any of those things. So it, it doesn't connect with me that way. I can appreciate what I'm listening to. I respect these themes that I'm hearing. I respect the lyrics, all of that stuff, but it's not about me, you know, uh, a lot of these records I can kind of twist in my own kind of, you know, sick, narcissistic way to make them about me, but I cannot do that about this one. The reason why this record is on this list is because, objectively speaking, it is just a fantastic, thrilling record from start to finish. Um, looking back on Sudan Archive's previous records, uh, they've all been good. You know, um, she's kind of notable as a violinist, incorporating her, you know, violin playing into her, you know, R&B-ish, hip-hop-ish kind of sound. Uh, but this record doesn't really play into that novelty anymore. You know, this is her fully coming to terms with a artist on the whole, being more than just, you know, a kind of niche, you know, violin-playing R&B singer. This is her just saying, fuck it, I'm gonna make the best possible album that I can. And it's hard to say that she hasn't, because you listen to this thing from start to finish, and it is just a fantastic concoction and melange of all these wonderful, amazing sounds that she has very, very skillfully, deftly thrown together um, 
in ways that just make sense. Uh, you've got, you know, it is a pretty strictly an R&B album, but instead of following kind of your standard song structure, it, this album really does feel kind of like a, like, almost like a, <laughs> funny that I say the word, but a, a diaspora of genre that comes together to create one immersive experience that you really do need to kind of listen to from beginning to end in order to really understand and really appreciate it. Again, like, all the songs are great, but if you really want to understand the, the, the genius and majesty of this album and the, you know, creative masterclass that Sudan Archives has created, you really need to go from start to begin, uh, start to beginning, start to finish to hear it all and hear the way that she has mastered um, the art of bringing in all these different genres into this kind of wholesome sound that represents her and who she is and, and where she is in her place in life right now. Um, it's amazing. It's a great record uh, that even a, you know, white guy from Toronto can appreciate despite the lyrics having absolutely nothing to do with being a white guy in Toronto. <laughs> um... Yeah, it's just it's just beautiful. It's just it, it's beautiful. It's uh, astounding. It's powerful, and she really does bring together genre in a way like no one else really has this year. Um, so that said, coming in at number ten for twenty twenty two, we have Sudan Archives' Natural Brown Prom Queen. Okay, coming in at number nine, we have we have a guy who I really did not think. Well, that's not that's, that's not true at all. Um, let me just say it. Okay, coming in at number nine, we have the Weekend Dawn FM. What I was trying to say before I cut myself off due to inaccuracies was that this was a guy who I really didn't think would end up in my top 10 of the years ever again. Um, not to be that guy, but I'm going to kind of be that guy a little bit. But I've been a Weekend fan since the very, very beginning. Um, I remember when House of Balloons um, was maybe not uploaded, but I remember when Drake's blog kind of reposted the House of Balloons mixtape and, and, and it all kind of blew up from there. I remember that. I remember listening to that album when it came out in 2011 and being absolutely blown away. And um, I remember waiting anxiously for Thursday to come out. It did. I remember going to the first ever weekend show in Ottawa. Um, he was really, really bad. And my ex-girlfriend's brother uh, got choked out by a group of people. Um, I remember being in Windsor when Echoes of Silence dropped at the very end of December at my buddy Anchor's house. I, re I remember that exact moment. I remember checking my Twitter and it dropped and everyone freaking out because he promised that he was going to have the three mixtapes out 
within the year and it was almost the end of the year and it didn't show up and then finally it was there. I remember what it was like to be a weekend guy back when this all started and how amazing and mysterious and, and, and just, you know, kind of involved the whole fandom was at that time. And then I remember what it felt like to listen to his actual studio albums when they started coming out. Like, Kissland, which has got to be one of the worst... If you think in terms of hype that this guy had, one of the worst major label debuts um, in recent memory. Just in terms of how low impact and low quality it was compared to the mixtapes and kind of the standards that he had set for himself previously. And I remember feeling that disappointment. I remember that disappointment just kind of becoming vague annoyance when Beauty Behind the Madness came out and all of a sudden he was a pop star. And, you know, I was hearing uh, Can't Feel My Face and The Hills everywhere. And, you know, those aren't even necessarily bad songs. But you have that feeling of, like, I remember this guy when he was putting out this really raunchy, underground, dark music. And now he's on the pop radio and my fucking stepmom is singing along to this shit. Weird feeling. Not a great feeling. Um... But then I also remember what it was like when Starboy came out. And while the album on the whole wasn't great, the Daft Punk singles were actually really, really good. And I remember thinking, hmm, maybe he isn't a wash after all, you know? Maybe this kind of pop star heel turn isn't all that bad. And maybe he can make it work. And then, remember After Hours coming out, uh, 2020. And that was a fucking fantastic record. And that record did end up in my year-end list, if I recall. I wasn't doing a podcast then, so it's kind of hard to keep track of such things. But it was so nice to feel excited about The weekend again. Because, especially when you were there and you know the excitement that he could generate. And you know what quality music he was capable of making. To hear him finally get back to that point again it was a fantastic feeling. It just felt nice to be excited about a weekend record again, and that's how I felt about this one. Um, I remember hearing him say that this album, before it came out, featured the music that he's always wanted to make his whole life. It's kind of an exciting thing to hear. What could it possibly be? And I mean, you know. Um, blinding Lights and kind of the 80s inflected songs of After Hours hinted at this, but I don't think anyone could have predicted this, you know, full-blown submersion into this kind of psychedelic 80s sound that he has uh, just completely taken over with this album. And it wouldn't be as great as it was without, and I have to give it up for him, the genius idea to have both One Tricks Point Never, one of the underground's, you know, foremost experimental producers, teaming up with Max Martin, kind of the pop producer of the modern world, as both executive producers on this album. And you gotta hand it to The weekend because, like, who else... <laughs> 
A, who else would have the kind of psychotic, crazy idea to have both these guys executive produce your album? And B, who else would it be able to actually, you know, like financially, um, you know, influence-wise, actually be able to pull it off? But he, he did both. He came up with this idea. He got both these guys on board. And the result is, in my humble opinion, of course, his best album yet. And that's kind of hard to, you know, like, can you fathom that after his legendary trio of mixtapes um you know after his breakout into pop stardom it's now that he's actually releasing his best music it's very very exciting and it's very very uh it bodes well for the future we'll say bodes very well for the future but you know enough of the future let's talk about this let's talk about this record so Again, this is... You've heard a lot about it already. I mean, this record came out the first week of January. It's the weekend, one of the biggest pop stars in the world. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about this album this past year. And I think it's a testament to just how great of a record that this is. That, again, an album that came out the first week of the first month of the year. Like, one of the first tastes of music that we got from 2022 still holds up and still, you know, remains one of the best records released this year. Um, it truly is a masterpiece, I'd say. A masterpiece of pop. A past, a master, a pa- pastor-mies. <laughs> pastor-mies. Come on, it's kind of funny, right? Did you get a chuckle out of that one over there? I hope you did. Um, it's just a great record. Um, is it perfect? No, I mean... There are some songs in the middle where things kind of drag a little bit, but the highs are extremely high, and the lows aren't that low, so it kind of evens out somewhere in the, you know, very high middle, which is <laughs> pretty damn good. Um, and all of this aside, it contains one of my favorite songs of the year, um, which I'll talk about a little bit later, but needless to say, This is the record where it finally felt great to be excited about Weekend Project and for the actual music itself to surpass that excitement and be more than anything that you could have imagined. Who knows what's next? Because, again, this is only the second part of a trilogy, apparently, that started with After Hours, so he's clearly got something planned for you know, the next record already. Um, And I am proud to say that I am very, very excited to see what that'll be. One last note, one last thing that I was kind of thinking of. Um, I find it kind of interesting how The Weeknd and Drake, two guys, you know, two Toronto guys, two R&B, hip-hop-ish adjacent guys, you know, Drake kind of help the weekend come into relevancy how their careers have kind of split into two different directions where the drake you know drake started off kind of whatever and then you know unexpectedly released a bunch of great music which has kind of tapered off and gotten shittier over the years less interesting 
Um, whereas The Weeknd has gotten much, much, much more interesting as, uh, you know, his career has gone on. Started off really interesting with those mixtapes, kind of dissipated a little bit, and then he's just come back more interesting than ever. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to kind of compare him and Drake's career paths these ways. Because whereas Drake has been content kind of retreading the same ground and, you know, falling into old tropes and old ways, The Weeknd always seems like he wants to push the envelope and push himself. So I think when we look back on the legacy of these two great Toronto artists that came up kind of around the same time, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it all lies and, you know, where the chips fall. I'm not saying it's a Drake versus The Weeknd thing, but I'm also kind of saying that it is. And it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out in the future. But anyway, coming in at number 9 for 2022, we have The Weeknd, Dawn FM. Okay, should I do a song now? Should I do a song? You guys want me to do a song? I think I'm gonna do a song. Let's do a song, sure. Okay, so, coming in at number five. This is gonna be really confusing for everyone. I'm just gonna be jumping all over the place in terms of chronology, etc. But coming in at number five for my favorite songs of 2022, we have the song Sightless by Holy Fawn from the record Dimensional Bleed, which may or may not get discussed a little bit later on on this episode. So the reason why I picked this song is because this song is the emotional apex of the Dimensional Bleed record. Um, I don't want to talk too much about the record itself because I might be doing that later but I wanted to talk about this song because I think it is an absolute master class in dynamics and build up and uh, release of tension the whole album kind of is a exercise in tension building and it all kind of comes to a head at this song here and one of the things that I love about this record, and again, I'm trying not to talk about it too much, um, but you're able to kind of apply your own emotions to it. And I'll get into that a little bit later. And whatever emotions that you do apply to this record, this is where they all kind of come to a head. The song starts off quiet with a almost very distant kind of piano notes, a kind of labored drum machine um, before a kind of slow riff comes in and the extremely whispered vocals of the uh, vocalist come in. I don't know his name, sorry about that. And the song kind of goes and it goes and it goes and it goes and it's, you can, you can feel it building to something and then all of a sudden the music cuts away and the vocalist says, well, whispers again, 
come here and then the music comes back in the guitars come back in and the chord changes just hit this really emotional resonant note and it gets to a point where all of a sudden he screams or they scream there's, there's a lot of different vocals going on tell me what you see and um again it's 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 hard to just like use these words to talk about and explain kind of the feeling that this conveys but it in a record that feels so haunted the way that this one does feels like a transmission from another realm. The, the amount of yearning and the amount of pain in this climax of this song is just, uh, it, it floors me every single time I listen to it. It, 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 it devastates me, honestly. Um, do I know really what they mean? Do I know what they're talking about? No, I, 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 I don't. But that allows me to attribute my own feelings to it, my own, you know, context and circumstance. And to hear that voice sing slash scream slash yell, whatever, tell me what you see. It just, it's, it strikes a nerve with me. It makes me feel a lot of things. And that's what this whole music shebang is all about isn't it you know you just want to you want to feel things you know, or you want to have your already existing feelings reaffirmed through art and music and that's exactly what you get with this you know you get that affirmation you get you feel validated in this feeling of just being overwhelmed and um there's value to that you know, there's a lot of value to sensing like you're not alone in what you think and what you feel and the sheer force of that you feel it. So because of that, because it is the apex of one of my favorite records of the year, that song lands in at number five of my favorite songs of 2022. So that will be Sightless by Holy Fawn. Okay, let's uh, back to the albums. Back to the good stuff. Okay, so coming in at number eight for PH5 favorite records of 2022, we have Soul Glow Diaspora Problems. And you can see why I was kind of chuckling at my mention of Diaspora earlier. Because, uh, I'm gonna be talking about it again um, right now so this is the best hardcore record of the year um, that's just a fact I don't think anyone would even you know argue that anyone anywhere um, usually hardcore records are you know fast lean to the point and um, you know economic almost conservative 
which is funny because the vast majority of hardcore bands are, you know, extremely not conservative politically, but conservative in terms of the sounds that they allow themselves to integrate into the music, you know? It's, you know, fast-paced drums, quick riffs, screaming, boom. Okay, next song. Drums, riffs, screaming, next song. Like, you, you know what a hardcore song is when you hear it, you know? Soul Glow rejects all that, and I think that has a large part to do with the fact that the majority of this band is black. And let's be real, the majority of hardcore bands are white guys. And it's, it's having this kind of foundation in black communities and black culture that allows them to really think outside the box and integrate more than just your standard prototypical hardcore sounds into this music. Um, not just that, but ambition as well. Again, your, your standard hardcore record is probably about 25 minutes long. Half an hour long, if they, you know, if they're feeling a little bit crazy. But this is a, a solid 40 plus minute long record. Like, this is a full length statement from the band. Um, so, this isn't a band making a hardcore record. This is a band using hardcore to make their record. And because of that, you get a you get you get a lot of different kind of elements, different genres being incorporated into the sound. You know, there's basically a full-blown industrial rap song. The last song on here is basically a rap rock song. Um, you know, they integrate, you know, like a, a horn section into one of their songs, for goodness sakes. Like these guys are willing to do whatever it takes to make their sound their sound as much as it can possibly be and what's really great is that not only musically are they ambitious in that they are you know bringing in you know lots of different genres and lots of different sounds that you don't typically hear in hardcore but lyrically it, it's just on a completely different level um Again, this album draws pretty extensively from the black experience and, uh, you know, how fucking shitty it can be a large part of the time. But it's not done in a necessarily woe is me, everything sucks kind of way, you know, that a lot of hardcore can be where we're just being emo and sad and yelling about it. Um... This is a surprisingly funny record, you know? The vocalist is, he's a funny guy, and he he's really good at using humor as not necessarily a way to deflect, but a way to um, build upon these strong emotions and, and these really hard topics that he's dealing with over the course of this record. And I guess a, a background in hip-hop culture means that the actual way that a lot of these songs are vocalized is it's almost like a like a, a rap scream you know he's, he's he's kind of screaming bars if you will and the results of this is kind of one of the most wordiest verbose records that i've ever heard in my entire life like 
this is basically a novel in album form in terms of how much this guy is talking about. Um, and thank God, but uh, you know he's a, he's a great writer, very very compelling. Um, it's one of those albums that you actually want to sit down and you want to read along to the lyrics, and you're gonna laugh, you're gonna cry, you're gonna get pissed off, you're gonna feel a lot of things, and that's the point. You know, this is a, an album that comes from the very, very heart of not just the, you know, black experience, but the disenfranchised experience. And because of that, you know, it, it goes to some really deep, really dark places. But uh, that's that's important. You know, these are these are places that are important to explore because it's very real. It's a very real part of society for a large portion of society. So. You know, it's 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 like a lot of hip hop records that that talk about these things, but you know, it's using guitars and it's using screaming and it's it's using you know blast beats and it's using kind of the tools of hardcore in order to create a record and an experience um, about the black experience in a way that you know is is very different than what we're used to hearing. And it's a massive success. I mean, this record, this is almost like the the turnstile glow on of 2022. Not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, the vibes are could be couldn't be more of a polar opposite. Um, but in terms of just blowing up the exposure level of this hardcore band in the stratosphere, like I'm not necessarily saying that Soul Glow are a household name now. But I have seen this record on essentially every single year-end list that I have looked at over the past few weeks. And that's because it's just that good. You know, it, it touched that much of a nerve universally that people just can't ignore it. Um, so where will they go from here? Will they sell out and uh, start to make some mainstream rock? <laughs> I really doubt it, and that's kind of the exciting part about Soul Glow is that you can really tell listening to this music that these guys do not give a fuck. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if their next record is heavier and more chaotic than this one is. Uh, that's the beauty of this band. It, it, it's one of those bands that you can kind of believe in, you know? You believe in them doing the right thing, making the right choices and making the best music that they possibly can. So, coming in at number 8 for 2022, we have Soul Glow Diaspora Problems. Okay, coming in at number 7 for 2022, we have Burial Antidon. This is another record that came out right at the beginning of the year. Like, this might have literally come out on like the 1st or 2nd of January of this year. And I remember being like, oh great, you know, like, here we go. Another burial ambient record. Like, we get it by now, you know? And that's how I felt about it the first time that I listened to it. And even the second time I listened to it, it was like, okay, like, you know, this is just kind of more of the same, what, what we've uh, 
come to expect from Burial at this point. You know, he's, he's an ambient guy now. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, he does it in his own way and it's really interesting, but that's just what it is. Um, but the more I listen to it, and again, this, this album may have gotten, you know, the benefit of there not really being much else out at the time. So I, I probably listened to it more than I would have and given my initial thoughts of it not really being that interesting or good. But again, it's Burial, so you gotta give him the benefit of the doubt. You gotta, you gotta give it a listen. You, you, you've gotta at least try to understand where he's coming from. And maybe on like the third listen or so, it really clicked for me. Um, because as much as he's kind of become this ambient guy, and while this is... I guess, an ambient record, he hasn't really made anything like this before. Um, this album is more of a sound collage experiment than, a, than an album of music, in ways. And, you know, he's been experimenting a lot with, you know, found sounds and field recordings and whatnot, and integrating that in his music for forever, since basically he started making music. But... This record feels like the, what you would call music, you know, melodies, beats, etc, etc. Those are more just complementary to the sounds and the, the, the kind of emotions that he's presenting with this record. And I just have this one memory, distinctive memory, that I, I, I come back to a lot. Uh, as the year has gone on. It's early uh, early January, and I was making dinner. It's probably like maybe a little bit stoned. And I just started this new job um, where I was just working entirely from home, entirely remotely. Wasn't really sure how I felt about it. It's kind of the dead of January. The pandemic was full force. Everything was locked down, couldn't really go anywhere. It was dark all the time, cold all the time. And I remember just putting this record on and... It just felt like what I was listening to like, entirely captured what I was feeling at that time. That feeling of almost loneliness and uncertainty about the future and, and mystery about, you know, what what comes next, what's going to happen. This whole record is filled with moments of that, where you're uncertain about what's going to happen next on the record, but you know it's probably not going to be good. There's this kind of dread that that seeps through the whole thing. And I mean, to feel that in early January and you kind of look at all the shit things that have happened this year, it's like, oh, well, I guess you kind of saw that coming, didn't you? <laughs> um, it feels like that in a lot of ways. And this is one of the records that I've just kept coming back to, kept coming back to as the year has gone on, because the just the feelings 
that it evokes within you are just mysterious, kind of scary in a way, and really uneasy. But it's funny because there's a song on here where all that kind of breaks away and a little bit of light peeks through the clouds and a little bit of warmth sets in. And it's just like, oh, it's such a relief when you hear that. It doesn't last. The last song kind of brings back these feelings of uneasiness and, you know. But for that brief second, you get that warmth and that clarity that peeks through. And it's worth listening to the whole thing just to get to that moment and to feel that it again it doesn't last and it goes away and that's that's reality you know like these moments of clarity and these moments of feeling content they never really last you're always going to end up back in that point of being uneasy and anxious and uncertain um but it it was awfully generous of him to include that song in this album and I want to call it an album. I think you release it under a like EP moniker, but let's be real, it's 40 something minutes long. It's the longest thing he's put out in a while. I'm it, it's an album. Okay? It's a full length. And after spending so much time with this album, and I have, I've spent a lot of time with it just kind of exploring it and 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 wading in its murky depths. Um I think this is my favorite burial record. You know, beating out his actual albums from, you know, last decade. Beating out the Kindred EP, which for a long time was my favorite. I, this is my favorite now. And it's funny because it's maybe the least musical of anything that he's ever released. But it's not about that. It's about how evocative it is and how... How much it makes you feel that uncertainty. And if you're a person filled with uncertainty like I am, it's a... It's a relief to hear, you know? <laughs> In a weird way. It's just nice to have these sounds to accompany your feelings sometimes, right? And this was that for me this year. So, coming in at number seven is Burial... Anti-Dawn. Song time? Should we do another song? Let's do another song. Sure, okay. So, number four favorite song of 2022 is the song New Infinities by the band Thought Crimes. What the hell is this, Phil? You haven't even talked about this album. Like, what? who the hell is Thought Crimes? What the fuck is this song? Where is this coming from? So, uh, Thought Crimes is a band featuring the uh, ex-drummer of Dillinger Escape Plan. And they released an album in August this year that was very, very much 
sounding like a Dillinger Escape Plan album, which is great. Again, one of my all-time favorite bands. Um, again, this was in August, which my uh, PH5 diehards will know was a, a very bad month for me. Um, I didn't even record an episode, and I, I didn't even really like any of the music that came out then. Uh, but I did like this album, and I loved this song in particular. And I listened to it a lot, not in August, but in September. In September, I went to Newfoundland to visit my dad and my family. And I was just not having a good time when I was there. I was uh, extremely bored. There's nothing to do. Um, my family were being extremely annoying. And I spent a lot of time just taking my dad's truck and driving around, just trying to remain sane. And I listened to this song on repeat basically the entire time I was there. Um, this song was my escape for that trip. Why this song in particular? Hey, I mean, I think entirely circumstantial, you know? It just so happened to come out when I needed something like this in my life. Um, it just so happened to come out when I needed a song to listen to on repeat over and over and over again to distract myself from how happy I, unhappy I was at the time. And that's not to say that it's not a great song, because it is a great song. Um, you know, it's that classic, more melodic track on an otherwise very heavy album. You know, it's really catchy. Um, it, it, it's also kind of crushing in a melodic way. It's a great song, for sure, but the reason why it's so important to me it doesn't have as much to do with the song as it does the kind of context that I was listening to it in. And I still listen to the song a lot. It's one of those songs where if I don't really have anything else to listen to, or there's nothing else really, you know, compelling me at that time, I'll just put this song on repeat for a little while because it's so easy to listen to over and over and over again. You know, it's like, it's like food for me. I'm, I'm a guy that likes things that are heavy, but I am a guy that likes things that are also, you know, catchy and melodic, and this song has both of those things. So it, it, it's just the perfect kind of snack food for me. And, you know, when I was there and I was, you know, miserable, I needed that snack food. So that's what the song provided to me. So thank you very much to Thought Crimes. And thank you very much to the song New Infinities for keeping me sane while I went to Newfoundland this year. So, coming in at number four. Four. Wait, is it number four? Oh man, I I I I I kind of screwed this list up a little bit. But yeah, this is number four. <laughs> All good. Number four for favorite songs 2022. Thought crimes. New Infinities. Okay, number six album of 2022 for PH5. We have Rosalia Motomami. 
Shout out to Rosalia, this is the first ever in my entire life record um, in my top 10 of the year that is not an English record. Uh, entirely in Spanish. Um, and it's a testament to what a fantastic record this is that, I mean, I technically don't understand a single word she's saying, but I still love it and I, I still play it all the time. It's a, when I talked about this album when it came out back in April or whenever it was, uh, I, I, I kind of referred to it as almost like the Yeezus of Latin music <laughs> in that, uh, you know, it takes a lot of these, you know, kind of traditional Latin music sounds and kind of throws it into this kind of harsh blender, electronic blender, and, and attributes a lot of very, very modern sounds um, into these more traditional sounds. Uh, I don't want to refer, I don't want to compare anything to anything Kanye West related ever again, because he's a bad person, he's a Nazi, and uh, all the artists deserve better than to be compared to a Nazi, so I'd like to take that back. I also don't think it was that apt of a description anyway, but it is an astounding record in how it is both very experimental, but very also easy to listen to. Um, I mean, am I a fan of half the genres she goes through on this album? I'm not, to be honest with you. I, 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 I don't listen to the vast majority of the kind of styles that she um, portrays on this album, but the way that she's kind of melded them all together and, and created this really almost futuristic form of Latin music is, it's just so irresistible and it, it's, it's, it's too good not to listen to. And in terms of my understanding of the record, being able to actually comprehend what's happening, well, sure, I don't speak Spanish, but I do remember one day I put the record on and I sat down with the translated lyrics and what a great time that was. Oh my god, she is really funny. Uh, I had several moments of listening to this record um, where I, I genuinely laughed out loud at, at some of the things that she was saying. She's got a fantastic personality. Um, obviously, her vocals are just insane and completely out of this world. I mean, we all know that. Uh, and her vision is extraordinary. This is a record that takes, you know, music that's centuries old and, and melds it together with, you know, electronics that, you know, are ahead of its time even. So the way that Rosalia is able to combine the past, present, and future in her music is just outstanding and and no one else is doing it like that right now um yeah i will say i hate the song chicken teriyaki pisses me off it's tiktok bait we all know it whatever good for you you know you want to get your tiktok plays i know that's a big part of 
you know, music nowadays, like you kind of need that in order to go anywhere in terms of popularity. Doesn't mean I have to like it, that's fine. But everything else on this record is really, really cool, really, really interesting, and um, executed very, very well. So, coming in at number six for 2022, we have Rosalia Motomami. Okay, we're going to do another song now, alright? And then we're going to go into the top five of the year. That's exciting. But before we get there, we've got to do one more song. So, coming in at number three favorite songs of 2022, we have the Mars Volta Blank Condolences. <laughs> it's so crazy that it's 2022 and one of my favorite songs of the year is a Mars Volta song. That's about as unexpected as it gets, folks. Um, but it is. That's just kind of how this whole thing went down. And, I mean, I listened to this song hundreds of times, probably. It's easy to do, because it's only about two and a half minutes long or so. But this was the song that really kind of sold me on this new direction that the Mars Volta were taking. Um... It's basically a straight-up Yacht Rock song with a, you know, fantastic, absolutely irresistible chorus. Um, it's, it's pretty simple. There's really not that much to it once when you initially listen to it, but the more you kind of dig into it, you hear all these different elements um, and all these, like, production choices that really elevate the song and, 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 and make it a really, really interesting complex but simple song it's one of those songs where the more you listen to it kind of the more you hear but all of the complexities and all the layers to it never detract from what it is which is essentially a pop song a very straightforward pop song and because of that you know i i just really wanted to mention it because it's a song that even to this day I can listen to over and over again and I, I, I'm still just not only astounded by the really interesting production techniques going on in this record, like what are half the sounds that I'm hearing on this? I have no idea. But just what a good song it is and how easy it is to listen to and how like you could throw this song on the radio on like Q107 and I'm telling you, this shit would hit, alright? Your dad would be all over this. Um, you know, just because the Mars Volta grew up and wanted to stop making 20-minute long prog epics doesn't mean they still can't write good music. And, you know, it also shows that, you know, we can grow up as people and maybe we won't be that same, you know ambitious, like, oh, you know, my favorite kind of music is, you know, 15-minute-long doom metal songs, you know, like, you, you can grow up and you can enjoy the simpler things in life, um, and you can still love music the way you did when you were young, you know, music just has to grow with you, 
And that's really how I feel about this song. This is the song that uh, I felt really grew with me the most this year. So, coming in at number three songs of the year is the Mars Volta Blank Condolences. Okay, here we are. Top five of the year. Okay. Well, we're really getting down to the stretch, aren't we? I haven't looked at the time, by the way. I don't know how long this is gonna take. I don't really care. We just have to let it roll, you know, run its course. Let the episode play out how it will. Because this is, this is what it's all about, you know? This is what we've been waiting all year for, so... You know, no need to hold ourselves back. Number five. For 2022, we have... Oso Oso Sore Thumb. Now. This band, Oso Oso, led by Jade Lilitree. They had my favorite record of... 2019 was it 19 2019 I think it was 2018 was it 2018 2019 <laughs> 2019 basking in the glow um before that I I had never even heard of these guys but that record came out decided to listen to it on a whim and despite it not really necessarily being my thing. I mean, you know, emo adjacent indie rock with like surprisingly positive, you know, overtones or whatever. It really, really landed with me and was easily my favorite record that year. On a large majority because of Jade's songwriting. I, I really think he is one of the strongest songwriters that we have going right now. Just in terms of, you know, his melodies, his lyrics, everything that he's able to do songwriting-wise is just outstanding. So, needless to say, I had really high hopes for this record, and it's different, though, because whereas Basking in the Glow was... You know, a full-length studio record that, you know, went through the demo processes and, you know, all this kind of stuff. All of the kind of standard, you know, hoops that you jump through when you release a full-length studio album like this. Uh, the story behind this one is, is it's a lot different. So, if you don't know, if you... Uh, don't remember me explaining it on the episode where this album came out or you didn't listen to it or whatever. The whole story behind this one is um, Jade and his uh, principal songwriting partner, uh, his cousin slash best friend, hold themselves up in a studio for about five weeks or so and uh, 
you know, in between bouts of smoking lots of weed and playing video games and just having having a great time, wrote these songs. So they wrote these songs, demoed them all out, and the plan was, you know, maybe in a few weeks after that five-week period, they'd go into a studio proper and flesh the songs out, create, you know, actual like actual versions of these songs. Um, and then his cousin died unexpectedly. So rather than going back into the studio and, you know, re-recording all these songs, fleshing them out, whatever it may be, for whatever reason, I mean, I can think of many reasons why, but Jade said, no, I either won't or can't do that. And he got the demos that they recorded mixed, got them mastered, and that's the album that we hear today. And it's just such a fascinating listen under that context, because the album itself is this kind of really playful documentation of two great friends having a good time together and, and making great music together. But the whole time you're listening to it, like, there's this kind of sad undertone of the whole thing because you know that what you're listening to is the last documented recordings of a great friendship that will never exist anymore. And it, it, it leads to just an incredibly outstandingly bittersweet experience because you hear the joy in these songs and you hear how much fun that they're clearly having when they're making it. And you realize like, this is it. This is, this is the sound of two friends that will never get to share this experience together ever again. And it's, it, it messes with your head. Honestly, it does. Um, and I remembered I saw Oso Oso earlier this year. Saw them live. Obviously touring in support of this album, but despite that, they only maybe played two or three songs from the record. Which I, 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 I get it. I can't even imagine what it would feel like to go out on the road night after night and have to play these songs that you wrote with your best friend and not have him there to play them beside you. Knowing that he's never going to be there to play them beside you. Um, it was a great show. It was a fantastic show. But I remember the whole time just kind of staring into Jade's eyes and he just looked so dead. He looked like empty and the pain that that man must go through, be going through, will probably always go through with a loss that deep is just, it, I can't even think about it. I, I can't even fathom it. I don't want to fathom it. Um, it's just, it's so sad. It's really just so sad. 
I mean, all this being said, it's a real testament to what an amazing songwriter Jade is that despite these not even, these are essentially record, it's a, it's an album of demos, you know, like how amazing could this album have been if circumstances had been better and they'd been able to go into studio again and flesh these songs out and, you know, really polish them up. But instead what we get is this collection of demos and it's still a fantastic collection of songs. Amazing set of songs. Some of his best songs are on here. So what does the future hold for Oso Oso knowing this? Will he continue? Can he continue? I mean, I certainly hope so. It's probably my favorite band right now. But whatever it is, we have this documentation of a true friendship and we get to hear the sounds of, you know, two friends that'll never be together again, kind of playing together one last time, whether they know it or not. And uh, it's, 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 it's magic. It, it, it really is, um, you know, a piece of magic that, that, that shows you just how, you know, magical and, 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 and mystical music can be sometimes. So, coming in at number five, we have Oso Oso, Sore Thumb. Okay, coming in at number four, for 2022, we have Huerco S. Plonk. So, Huerco S. is the guy who made one of the best ambient records ever, and probably my favorite ambient record ever. For those of you who have, and also those who have not. Or maybe it's the other way around, for those of you who have not, and also, whatever. whatever. Not important. Um, what's important is that this is a guy who made, again, one of the best, one of the most acclaimed ambient music records of the past decade or so. Um, but here he is now, making this. <laughs> what am I trying to get at here? Um, this is not an ambient record. Um, this is a record that he describes as being influenced by cars? <laughs> Whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. The mechanics of cars, the dynamics of cars, the, you know, just the whole vibe of cars. So what the heck is that supposed to mean? I remember being hearing about this and being kind of underwhelmed like so we're going from one of the best ambient records ever made to a, a concept record about cars <laughs> great you know can't wait for that and this is definitely a very different record um from um for those who have or whatever it's called but it's in no way less compelling because what I foolishly forgot was that Huerco S is one of our 
greatest electronic musicians that we have. And he applies all the things that made him so great about that ambient record to this record that brings in elements of, of techno and, and, and house music at times, and even hip-hop at times. But he still has that extraordinarily unique vision and that unique touch to make this music that sounds almost otherworldly at times. Like, sure, this may be a concept record about cars, but, like, it sounds more to me like a concept record about cars from a different planet than the cars that we have on here. I'm looking outside of my window right now and I, I see cars, you know? And there's nothing really that special about them. Really nothing out of the ordinary, you know? It's something you see every day. But what Huerco S does is he must see them differently than I do. Because this record takes a lot of these familiar sounds and presents them in a, in a very unfamiliar way. Um, you get the kind of skittering beats of techno and house, but instead of them being there to pro uh, provide, you know, movement and propulsion for you to dance to, instead they're just there to kind of build up almost a sense of anxiety, and you're at no point when you're listening to this record do you feel compelled to dance, despite it being very beat-heavy, um, probably the most beat-heavy record that he's put out under, you know, any of his aliases. It's a record that, uh, again, takes the ordinary, say, a car, something that we see every day. Takes a sound that we hear every day, you know, a bass drum, a, you know, notes of a keyboard, and presents them in this alien, unfamiliar way that draws you back again and again and again, and creates this really mysterious record where the logic of the music becomes really kind of hard to wrap your head around. And I, th I think you really get a sense of that listening to the very first song in this album. Um, it opens up and kind of appears to just be a collection of random clangings, random sounds, from something that seems familiar, but you can't quite place what it is. And it seems random at first, but the more you listen to it, the more you get a sense that there actually is some sort of logic here. There is some sort of pattern. And that whole way of thinking can be prescribed this entire album. Where you listen to it through the first time and it doesn't really seem to make much sense. You're not really sure what you're listening to or why he's decided to make this music the way that it is. Um, but when you listen to it more and more, you begin to understand. You begin to at least get a grasp of where he's coming from and the alien slowly becomes familiar. And it just... It, it, it feels like 
almost like learning a new language. And I mean, it's almost right there in the title, like, Plonk. What the fuck is Plonk? It's, 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 it's an automatopoeia for sure. And you hear a lot of what could be described as plonk noises throughout this record. And that's kind of the key to this whole thing is that it's, it's a rediscovery of sound. It's a rediscovery of electronic music. And the whole genre for me has gotten kind of stale for me. Um, if you kind of take a look at this list that I've compiled here this year, uh, other than the burial record, which again, hardly even counts as an electronic record, uh, this is the only one on it. And it's because this whole notion of electronic music over the past few years or so, has just gotten kind of old to me. You know, I used to love it, but, you know, as I've gotten older, I've, I've, it's just gotten kind of samey, you know, and, and, and being a music producer and, you know, having gone to music school and, and spent a lot of time working with these technologies and whatnot, um, like I've kind of come to the unfortunate realization that a lot of that music is, is really simple and easy to make. And while it sounds cool, it's like, there's not a lot of thought put into it. But this record, it, 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 it in a way, it's a rediscovery of electronic music for me because I have to really think about this. I, I really had to consider what I was listening to and, and rethink everything I knew about song structure and, and what I think should come next in the logical progression of melodies and, and, and all of this. And it all came from an idea as simple as a car. But if you take a car and you disassemble all of its parts, um, it's unrecognizable as a car at that point, right? And who knows what you can reassemble those parts into if you have, you know, the, the knowledge and expertise on how to do it. And Horko S is a guy who certainly has the knowledge and expertise to disassemble a genre like electronic music, whatever kind of electronic music you kind of want to think of here, and reassemble it in a way that seems foreign and alien to you. But the closer you look, you can see all those pieces of what was once a car. They're all still there. And you just begin to see things differently. Did that make any sense? I don't know. Maybe not. Makes sense to me though. So, coming in at number four, four, 2022, we have Horco S. Plonk. Okay, I think it's time to talk about the number two song of 2022. So, okay, you ready for this? Coming in at number two, favorite songs of 2022, we have Liability by Drake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, I'm sure you guys all know this, but back in the summer or late spring or whenever it was, Drake randomly decided to drop what was 
ostensibly a dance record. <laughs> Honestly, never mind, is what he called it. Which is funny, because for the most part, you could honestly never mind about listening to any of the songs on it, because it wasn't very good. I, I enjoyed it for him trying something different, and when he released uh, the 21 Savage collaboration album later in the year, it really made me respect Honestly Nevermind more, because that album was just another retread of the same old Drake bullshit. But on the whole, you know, it wasn't very good. It was phoned in, the beats were nice, but you could tell that Drake himself uh, maybe spent a day on this record, you know? And the song, ironically enough, that became the most popular was the last song on the album, Jimmy Cook's, the 21 Savage collaboration song that sounded absolutely nothing like the rest of the record and was just a hip-hop song. And that's the one that got really popular, and whether or not the 21 Savage collaboration album was planned to happen anyway, or the popularity of that song kind of spurred it to happen, that's just kind of how it all worked out. But, before that song on the album was one more curiosity kind of tucked away that also didn't really sound like anything else on the record. That song being Liability. And this is a very interesting song to me because it's, again, sounds nothing like anything else on the record. Um, it's basically a hip-hop song or an R&B song or, you know, that kind of mix of the two that he's become so popular for doing. But the whole thing is kind of down-pitched and... It creates this really kind of hallucinatory, druggy effect of the song that really elevates it to a next level. And I mean, this isn't a new thing, you know? People have been down pitching their vocals and everything for, for years, you know? A little bit of vocal manipulation to spice the sound up. That's nothing new. But this whole song sounds like it's been down-tuned and down-pitched and slowed down. It's kind of like the chopped and screwed version, except we never got the original. We just got this one. And... It would have been a really cool song by itself, certainly one of Drake's better songs recently, but, you know, the, this, this down-tuning effect kind of takes it to a whole new level. And the song itself is, again, kind of pretty standard Drake fare, him singing about, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a woman that's kind of messing with his head, and, you know, a relationship turned sour, and all these kinds of things, but there's just, there's this level of, it's just so compelling in this way that I can't quite put my finger on, and I've listened to it over and over again, and I think it's just the chorus. The chorus goes, you get in my bed, you twist up my head, I'm changing for you. It's, it's very simple, but 
wow, like, not to be a, like, basic Drake guy, but, I mean, haven't we all had that experience with someone, you know, that relationship or situationship or whatever you want to call it with a person who, despite them, you know, maybe physically being there, just feels just enough out of reach, but you can't stop at the same time. You know, they, they get in your bed, they... In that moment, you feel connected to them, but once they're gone, you're, you're just confused. You don't know what the situation is. You think you know one thing, but... You know, you don't. And you just get proven over and over again that what you think you know about your situation is, is wrong. And there's no way to truly know what this person is thinking. It's a, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a sentiment that I feel like I connect strongly to. And despite Drake having, you know, lots of songs kind of about this, this is the one that has resonated the most with me. The one that feels the most correct. The one that actually feels like he actually nailed this specific emotion in this specific situation like no other artist has. At least not him. And again, the, the down-to nature of it all just kind of plays into the whole kind of, you know, narcotic nature of it and the feeling of just like being so confused and in your head about someone that you're, you know, drugging yourself all the time, you're intoxicating yourself, you're doing whatever it takes to kind of numb yourself to the pain and confusion that this person is causing you. Um, that's what the song was for me this year. So, coming in at number two, song of the year. Drake, you suck, for sure, but um, you, you had a good one with this one. <laughs> Drake, Liability. Whew, okay, okay. We're, we're almost done. <laughs> we're almost there, we're almost there. Coming in at number two, albums of the year, for PH5. Oh shit, no, sorry. Uh, number three. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. We, we, still have, we still have lots to do, so, uh, you know, grab a glass of water, whatever the fuck, because we're, we're, we're not done yet. Coming in at number three, for 2022, we have Billy Wood's Aethiopies. Aethiopies? I don't know, I'm not Greek. So, I talked on the last record about electronic music and how electronic music has gotten kind of stale for me and, you know, I'm not as interested in it as I used to be. Uh, that also really applies to hip-hop. Um, I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but... 
Hip-hop was one of my favorite genres, if not my favorite genre, for years when I was in my 20s. Um, now, whether it's a byproduct of just getting older or a byproduct of the actual product itself not being as good or compelling as it used to be, or a mixture of both, which I'm compelled to believe the most, uh, I just haven't been as interested in hip-hop as much anymore. You know, I talked about the Boldy James records earlier on. I talked about the Young K.O. record. And, you know, those were great, but that's only two records out of hundreds that I listened to this year. All that being said, this Billy Woods record um, may have single-handedly saved hip-hop for me and made me re-interested in it as a genre. This is an obvious career highlight, a creative peak for an already astoundingly creative artist. Um, you know, he might be better known as the other half of Armand Hammer with a Ulysses, but, and as great as those Armand Hammer records are, uh, it, it seems pretty clear to me that this record is kind of the masterpiece that Billy has uh, kind of put his name on over the years. Uh, it kind of moves away from the almost psychedelic, not like chaotic-ish nature of the Armand Hammer records and moves into something a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more reserved, something that is patient in the way that it unfurls itself. But instead what you get is what is essentially an album's length of poetry about black history and, you know, the black present and Billy kind of finding really creative ways to tie in his own life and almost autobiographical look at himself um, using, you know, black history as a way to, you know, tell his own story about himself. And it, it really is one of those records that you need to sit sit with and actually just listen to listen to what he's talking about and listen to how the producer compliments him and, and makes all of his thoughtful musings sound so good and so important and so visceral and it's a record where all the guests that show up bring their a-game you know he doesn't have too many guests on this one but I feel like everyone that he told about, you know, featuring on this record, he let them know, like, listen, this is an album that's incredibly important to me. This is an album that I want to stand the test of time. And I need you all to live up to that. And everyone does. You know, you've got Boldy James on this record. This guy managed to get LP on the record. Somehow managed to get a Despot verse. And... You know, it's a fairly kind of disparate selection of voices and features, but they all play into this really 
really thoughtful, curated vision for the record that Billy has. Um, he's just a master of metaphor. And you see that in songs where he compares, you know, the kind of slow-moving winds of the middle of the ocean to, you know, the banalities of the drug trade. Or, you know, talking about his own upbringing and, you know, the kind of almost magic realism of, you know, having this African heritage and what it means to, you know, grow up in a household filled with strife and the connections between that strife and, you know, African politics and the strife that exists within them. And just the complex layers of, of thought and feeling that you get on this record are, are amazing. And it really, again, like I said, really kind of reopened my eyes to the power that hip-hop can have. Um, I've never been a big lyrics guy, ever. You know, I, I'm more about, you know, the feeling of what I'm hearing. Like, does the music tie into the words that I'm hearing in a way that, you know, creates a synergistic effect where, you know, the output ends up being greater than the sum of its parts. Um, I'm not, I'm not sitting there, you know, analyzing and, you know, <laughs> picking apart similes and metaphors and whatnot because that's just not what I get into music for. That being said, this is a record that kind of begs for you to do that. It begs for you to listen intently and, and listen to what he has to say because lyrically it's just outstanding. It's a, it's a poetic masterpiece. And working with one producer, I don't know the producer's name, I know I suck, but working with the one producer and sharing that vision through the entire record just you really get a sense that Billy set out to make his record, you know? The one that he'll be known for forever. And I, I think he's done it. I really think he has. It's, it's really one of the most special, compelling, um, just, just amazing works of hip-hop or, you know, any genre that I heard this year or, you know, any year. So, thank you, Billy, for... Um, I don't want to make a make-whatever-great-again joke because that's, that's very 2018, so I'm not going to do it. But thank you for helping me rediscover the beauty and majesty of hip-hop with this record. So, coming in at... Number three for 2022, we have Billy Wood's Aethiopies. Number two. Guys, we're almost there. Okay, we're almost there. Thank you for sticking around. <laughs> it's been a long one, but it's the last one of the year. Okay, so let me be indulgent. I mean, I don't get to do this again for like five weeks or something so like just let me have this okay please thanks appreciate it thanks a lot 
Coming in at number two record of the year for PH5 2022, we have Ethel Kane, Preacher's Daughter. So, wow, this record. <laughs> First of all, wow. Um, how do I even explain it? Imagine if instead of growing up listening to country music, imagine if Taylor Swift, well, imagine if Taylor Swift had grown up instead of in a, you know, well-off family, you know, being the, the pretty girl that everyone liked, uh, listening to country music. Imagine if she had said grown up a trans woman in a almost cult-like environment, escaped home early and, uh, you know, listened to slowcore and doom metal instead of country. And then you kind of get a sense of what this Ethel Kane record is all about. So, Ethel Kane's first set of EPs were kind of reminded me a lot of like early-ish era Lana Del Rey, you know? Um, except like gearing a little bit more towards like, you know, darker sounds and almost like a witch house. But the whole idea being um, almost like hip-hop based production, you know, reverb heavy, playing into, you know, the, the kind of dark hip-hop sound that's around right now. She could have easily continued that route for this record, but instead, like, I don't know what inspired her to make this kind of music instead, but good God, thank God she did, because the level of ambition for a debut record like this is just, like, almost unheard of. This album is like 80 minutes long. I'd say the average song length is like maybe six minutes long. There's a song on here that's about 10 minutes long. Most of them are around the seven minute mark. And instead of, you know, bringing back, you know, the beat heavy sound and all that kind of stuff, instead what you get are essentially these I'm calling them dirge pop songs. Really, really slowly paced songs that, you know, have climaxes with guitar solos or, you know, spend, you know, the first five minutes just simple piano chords back and forth and her absolutely astounding voice going over top all of it. It is a very dark record, um, touching on themes of, uh, you know, religion, um, familial trauma, sexual abuse, all these kinds of things. And she presents it all in these just long, slowly paced pop songs. Because they are pop songs at the end of the day, because... They're catchy, you know? A lot of them have obvious choruses, verses, and whatnot. But she pieces them together 
in a way that's a lot more similar to again listening to like a, a, a doom metal song or, or a slowcore song than it does listening to you know like a, a country or a singer songwriter and certainly she brings in elements of country into this um you know the lead single this kind of a weird standout doesn't sound like much of the rest of the record for sure but american teenager is basically you know a, a taylor swift song from a slightly different dimension but the majority are just these really slow-paced, moody pieces that, uh, like, it's almost astounding that her label even let her release this because, like, like who? I mean, it's funny because I'm saying who's your audience for this? It's a lot of people apparently. Um, you know, this record has become really popular this year. Lots of people love it. Lots of people love her now. And, you know, that's just a testament to the fact that these are some really brilliantly recorded songs. And, you know, there's a taste out there from people. Like, they want something different. They, they want, you know, catchy songs. They want hooks and melodies and all that kind of stuff. But they want it to be different they want something that is more tailor-made to the artist and they, they want to experience things more and that's what you get with this record it's a full length experience from start to finish and just when you think it can't get any kind of weirder or darker uh ethel kane kind of metaphorically dies on this record on a song called Ptolemya, something like that. And that song is one of the most horrifying songs of the year. She lets out this absolutely horrid scream in the song, and these heavy guitars come in, and they, they keep fading out and fading back in, and it's just an incredibly overwhelming, frightening experience. To represent her death and it moves into some instrumental pieces and it's just like this is insane like the level of ambition found on this record this debut record is like it's got to be one of the most impressive debuts that i've ever heard in my life and it's not a record I can listen to a lot because it's it, it's really sad it you really feel the pain um you feel the pain of her experience and and you she almost forces you to live that pain with her when you're listening to this and I remember I saw her live in the summer it wasn't a great show to be honest she just kind of stood there the whole time but I think back and I'm like what else could she have done singing these songs going through these topics all you can do is kind of stand there and let it out and hope for the best um, it's an album that I think will really stand the test of time is destined to become kind of a future classic, one of those records that people look back on and be like, yeah, that was 
one of my favorite records of the 2020s or whatever it may be because it's 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 special and I think it's going to influence a lot of people and yeah it's just an astounding monumental piece of work that is simultaneously hard to listen to but because of her amazing voice and her ear for melodies is also very easy to listen to and it's kind of that dichotomy that makes it such a special record so coming in at number two for 2022 we have ethel kane preacher's daughter All right, we're gonna do the number one song, and then we'll finish off by talking about the number one record. Um, the record you've probably figured out by now. The song, maybe not so much. So, number one song, PH5, 2022, is The Weekend Less Than Zero. This is a song that the first time I heard it, I knew that it would be a song that I was going to listen to for the rest of my life. It's, uh, wow. I'd say it's his best song, I think. It's easily the best song on this record. It's the best song I can think of that he has. It's, 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 it's the best song that I heard this year, I think. It's very simple. It almost sounds like a killer song, to be honest with you. It's 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 a weird kind of like indie pop song, you know, not really like anything else that the weekend has made before. But especially after listening to the whole record and getting to it, it is the last official song in the album. It was like an outro, but whatever. You kind of understand the arc that The Weeknd has gone through as an artist. And the whole Dawn FM record is kind of about him, you know, coming to terms with where he is in his life. And in a way, kind of apologizing for who he's been. You know, like you listen to The Weeknd of the trilogy and that was a really shitty guy. You know, he sucked. And he's... Well, he's not perfect now. He's grown up a lot. And he's, you know, understand that he needs to change and he needs to be better. And this record is... Well, this song is kind of the aftermath of that realization. You know, it's... It's about... You know... You can change. You can be a better person. You can come to grips with who you were, you know, you can face that reality, you can own up to everything, but the things that you've done will always haunt you, you know? And they'll always be a part of who you are. I mean, who you are doesn't have to be who you were, but who you were will always be a part of who you are. And that's what I really feel this song is about. And isn't that just something that we can all kind of relate to? I mean, 
I know I've done a lot of shitty, terrible things in my life. And while I really do try to be the best person I can be now, you know, I'm just almost haunted by the things that I've done and, and, and the person that I was. And that's what this feels like. You know, it feels like he's going to be haunted forever by that kind of seedy, shithead, weekend person that he used to be. And he can grow all he wants, but that person will always have existed. And on top of all that, it's just an extremely, extremely well-written song. And it really drives me completely insane that that album has been out for almost a year now and it still hasn't been released as a single because I really, really, really believe that this song has potential to be just as big as Blinding Lights was. It has that universal appeal that anyone could find something to like about this song. It has a kind of genrelessness where it can play on basically any radio station. All it really needs is the right kind of context to play it under, and this could be a song that is timeless, you know? Like, this could be a song that could be like, you know the song Graduation, you know? As we go, like one of those songs that will always kind of have a place in, in some context or another. Um, yeah, it's just an incredible song. And it, again, it hasn't been released as a single, but I saw The Weeknd this year. And he closed with this song. And I saw him at the Rogers Center, which is, what, like a 30,000 capacity stadium? And again, despite this not being a single, I swear to God, every single person in there was screaming along with this song. Because anyone who's heard this song knows how special it is and will find a place in their hearts for this song. So again, I still think I still think it'll be released as a single. I don't understand why it wasn't. Maybe there's some grand plan in order. We'll just have to wait and see. Regardless, um, if this song does end up being released as a single and completely dominating 2023, Hey, hate to say I told you so, but I did, okay? So, anyway, coming in at number one favorite song of 2022, we have The Weeknd, Less Than Zero. Alright, we're here. We made it. We finally, finally, finally made it after 12 long months to the number one song. <laughs> Fuck. Number one album of 2022. According to me, number one being my favorite. And uh, I know that it's not objectively the number one album of 2022 because I didn't see this album on a single other list, and I read through every single fucking list I could get my hands on, which is I'm bored, not really much else to do in December, um, and I didn't see it on any other list, but here it is, 
number one on mine. Um, which I think is a, you know, it, it, it shows that this is a record that's really special to me, specifically. So, the record is Holy Fawn, Dimensional Bleed. And again, there's a few reasons why this album is number one for me, really special for me. First reason is, it almost feels like it was like engineered in a lab specifically for me. <laughs> like, every single one of my favorite genres is in this album. It's an album that combines elements of emo and trip-hop and black metal and ambient and slowcore and all these different elements in a way that it all seamlessly fits together and makes sense. It doesn't sound like a band just throwing things at a wall to make it work, but it sounds like a band with a very, very clear intent and purpose in mind and a sound that they were trying to go for. And as an artist, uh, again, I'm sure most of the people listening to this know me, so they, <laughs> they, they know this about me, but I made music for a long time in my life. Um, released a bunch of albums in my 20s, and the whole intent of that music-making experience for me was I wanted to find a way to combine all my favorite genres into a kind of music that really felt like my own. That felt like, you know, there's no one really else out there doing this. This is a strictly and inherently Phil kind of music. Um, was I successful at doing so? I don't know about that. I mean, the music itself wasn't really all that good. I mean, I'd say I did a pretty good job of, you know, combining these genres, but I just don't have the talent, per se, to uh, do it successfully and, and kind of make something of it. Which is why I think this record really spoke to me, because this, in ways, sounds like what I had been trying to do my entire music career. Um, career heavy quotations there, of course. You know, I've been trying to make music that I don't have to pick and choose what genre I want it to be. I wanted it to just be music that I like combined into one. And that's really what this record is. It's like, it sounds like if I had been able to successfully make the record that I wanted to, it would probably sound a lot like this one. So there's that element to it. The other element is something that I kind of vaguely touched on before, but... Um, it's about, uh... Yeah. This album has this really ambiguous quality to it, where you can tell it's very emotional, you know? There's a lot of really heavy emotion that comes in from behind it, but instead of being really prescriptive about the emotion, it's, it's, it's very ambiguous and abstract, and plays almost into a lot of supernatural. And, I mean... Haven't you felt that way, though, where you feel 
things so strongly and so heavily that it almost feels supernatural. It almost feels like other forces are at work. Um, when I initially talked about this album, I talked about uh, one of my favorite records from a long time ago. Uh, a decade ago, actually, now that I think about it. Um, Snowman, Absence. And that was a record by a band that knew they were breaking up. So they just wanted to make this one last song, swan song. And the album is very much itself about their dissolution. And kind of that feeling of being together but apart from each other. And the album felt, again, supernatural in a way that this one does. You know, it's an album that sounded haunted. And this is an album that likewise sounds very, very haunted. Um, but where the Snowman record, you kind of knew what was haunting them. That being kind of the, the end of their relationships and the end of the band and, you know, all that time that they had together. This one, it's not so clear. And because of that, you're able to kind of attribute your own emotion to it. You can interpret it however you want to. It's kind of this blank canvas that you can, you know, paint your own picture upon. And it came to me at a time in my life when I was in desperate need of a blank canvas, you know? Desperate need of something to just spill my heart out onto. It really made me feel like I could have this almost security blanket of music that, you know, felt like it was made for me in that very moment of my life. Obviously it wasn't, but, you know, when you hear something that uses all your favorite genres and all your favorite kind of music tropes in one thing and it also happens to come at a time when you need something like that the most you know you can't help but feel really connected to it and feel really strongly about you know the impact that it can have on you and I mentioned Sightless before and kind of how that emotional climax of the record, uh, you know, helped me kind of have a lot of emotional climaxes of my own. I mean, this, this, I'm not what you think, okay? I, 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 I didn't do what you thought, what you're thinking to this record. Um, but I just mean, you know, when I needed that emotional release the most, this record was there to give it to me. Um, will this record stand the test of time for me? You know, when I eventually move on and, you know, reach a point where I, I don't need this outlet. I don't need this kind of blank canvas to, you know, spill my troubled paints onto. I don't know. There's really no way of knowing. Again, I look back on 2021 and, you know, my favorite records from that year. And are they the same? I'm not sure. I, I haven't 
really gone back to that King Woman record that much this year. Um, so who knows where this record will be for me a year from now, five years from now, a decade from now. Will it be as important? Will it, will it, will, will it mean as much to me then as it did this year? Who knows? But in 2022, Dimensional Bleed by Holy Fawn was kind of the lighthouse for me that despite no matter how stormy the seas got you just keep on going and uh, push through the darkness and all you can do is hope that when you come out on the other side it'll be a little bit brighter and that's like this year you know Hopefully we'll come out of 2022 and into 2023 and things will be a little bit brighter. Well, I'll just have to wait and see, I guess. So that's that. Thank you again for listening. That's the year. And what a year it has been. PH5 will return in 2023. I look forward to chatting with you folks then. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, stay healthy. This is Phil May, PH5, signing off.